0: Thank you for tuning into the VF1 show with VF and Vincenzo, the podcast that discusses all things business, marketing, politics, and government within the world of Formula One. If that's your thing, then you found the right place. So without further ado, it's lights out and away we go.
1: Welcome back to the show, the VF1 show. My name is Vincenzo Landino. Joining me as always, VF on the other side of the line. VF, VF, what is going on today? How are you feeling about... Week one of our uh, holiday break here, our our, uh, F1 vacation.
0: You know, I think I was ready for it, but I also feel like this summer break is kind of the time where everyone thinks about, holy shit, we're now entering Silly Season. And Mm. so on the other side of that break, is a lot of chaos that's going to happen from, you know, the end of the break through November. So I think we're all just kind of enjoying the, the pause, the silence, the quiet right now, although it's F1, there's never any silence or quiet. Let's be real. How are you coping?
1: I'm coping quite fantastic. Actually. (laughs) Um, It's funny because there's there, you know, and listen, I love F1. I've been watching this forever. I mean, I am, Excited more when my team is is actually in it right and, and able to provide me with the entertainment that I desire. Um, but I am also kind of excited about a lot of the talk, you know, so the silly season talk, which I feel like when you have nothing else to be interested in, like your team is not competing uh, you at least need to be, you know, find something. And for the first time, I'm super keen on what is, you know, what is going on within uh, the F1 world and just where we're at, you know, silly season, as, as they say. Um, I, do, I do wonder how crazy it'll get or if it'll just be a lot of hype this year, though.
0: Well, two rumors that we've heard, weirdly enough, with Ferrari mm-hmm. was that Charles Leclerc leveraged Mercedes and Red Bull before agreeing to that mega Ferrari deal. Supposedly and, he talked
1: to like every to almost every team, yeah, which yeah. is kind of funny because it's like, all right, well, but you're at, realistically not gonna go to a you know a Williams or a right AlphaTauri. So,
0: but at the same time, though, it's like he took the play from American um, sports in that that is what every single american athlete and coach does it's like every time a coach they suspect that say nick saban was going to be leaving alabama Mm -hmm. nick saban would then go and have maybe a conversation with clemson or a conversation with auburn or maybe you know texas or one of those bigger schools uh, that has higher expectations and that he would use that not because he actually wanted to coach at those schools but because he wanted to leverage his contract with alabama so yeah and i think
1: i mean listen it's business right reality is you you have to go and you've got to play those games there's only so much loyalty in any of this uh and i think as fans like if you read a lot of the fan the what the tifosi will say oh charles he's a he's a ferrari guy he's a loyal guy it's like yeah that's great and I, you know like No one's gonna say otherwise, but at the same time, you, you meaning like LeClaire, they're not, you know, they won't be loyal to you if you don't perform. Yeah. So, why would you just want to be like, blindly say, sure, I'm gonna sign another deal? Like, let me see if I can get more money out of this, especially with what he's putting up with, you know, being there and. The, you know, the strategy blunders and what seems like organizationally, they just can't get right. I mean, yeah. you're almost conceding that at his age, he's not going to sniff a championship for a couple, at least a couple seasons. Yeah. And so he's got to believe and buy into a bigger vision. Hopefully there is one, right? Hopefully there's, yeah, there's a, a bigger picture here. But yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't blame them. Listen, to all athletes, all business folks, uh, you've got to worry about yourself. There's only 20 of these seats. Now, I'm not. I'm not insinuating that Charles Leclerc ever had a a, a doubt, right? Yeah. There's ever a doubt at his seat. But we know how fickle these seats can be, and we know how difficult they can be to get back. I mean, the Daniel Ricciardo situation is Rare. not normal yeah. like if you don't you know you leave it's very difficult to ever get a, another shot um and i feel like daniel what he's leveraged what he lacks maybe on track in terms of uh the skill maybe his 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 race craft maybe he doesn't have you know the top of the line race craft anymore but he makes up for in marketability and yeah. any team would be stupid not to want him uh, around but that's rare you know that's not a situation where you you know like we've talked about this before there's only 20 seats 30 if we include reserve drivers uh, we probably should now include like uh, the f1 academy and you know there's maybe f2 f3 seats and and whatnot for driver for academies but you still only have let's just add all those up and say that there's you know 50 opportunities to be a driver at that level right or somewhere around that level level adjacent to f1 that's not a whole lot of opportunities so if you're out you know there are so many other young one, you know younger drivers just chomping at the bit to come in they're cheaper yeah. they might be better um so when you take all of that into consideration, I think it's, it's, it's smart, you know, it's a smart move. It's a business move. You've got to think that way. If you are someone like Charles who has a lot of skill, he's demonstrated uh, what he can do behind the wheel. And, you know, that's something that I, I hope translates into getting the whole package together you know, yeah. at some point. But he can't just sit down and hopes and dreams and say, well, you know what? Well, maybe we'll win one day. Well, okay. But if you don't win, you need to get something out of this. Cause you're, you know, this, this career doesn't last forever and these opportunities aren't going to be there forever. You're not going to be worth what you're worth now forever. So right. get what you can while you can. And yeah, good for him. I mean,
0: well, two, two points to, to that, that though. Carlos Sainz is also rumored to have reached a pre-contract with Audi for the 2025 season. So that, if that's true, then that's an open Ferrari seat. Um, mm-hmm. but also something I found really interesting in all of the, you know, the silly season pre-conversation was that, um, Lando Norris and his contract, he's got a long-term deal right now with McLaren, but when that expires, people are, are kind of suggesting, well, Red Bull would probably be the best, the best fit for him. But, one thing I thought was interesting, Andrea Stella said that we want to create a long bench or a long group of people that can support the driver when talking about um, the fact that they're kind of they're they have like a shuffle going of of different engineers and race support right now, and he said it's because there's a 24 race season and it becomes a challenge at the personnel level. Yeah. So I like the fact that McLaren, while they're they're you know, adding the, the upgrades to the car and they're building that that car up, which they've done a great job at, it seems like they're also trying to make sure that they're giving their drivers the correct support um, out, you know, outside of the car, really. And I think that's a brilliant strategy too, because I think that is basically telling Lando Norris, long-term, we're, we're fully committed to you and building you up as a driver. So I yeah. think that they're also putting, you know, they're, they're adding the value uh propositions right now to a potential extension to make him stay at mclaren but also i think they're kind of setting the tone for other teams in that yeah this is a pretty grueling schedule so you should be focusing on on shuffling the engineers right now and and figuring out the you know who who has the best strategy right now for that driver at that track knowing that every car performs differently depending on the, Mm -hmm. the track So I love that. I think that says, hey, McLaren is fully committed to their drivers. And so that does make that McLaren seat, in my opinion, a little more of a um, desirable spot than Ferrari is right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're, I guess if you're Orlando, sure. Um, The only thing that Ferrari has, and I mean, McLaren is storied. Um, they have a store, you know, a, a history in F1 that is, I think on par with Ferrari. Um, yeah. Maybe current, you know, and again, both of those teams currently don't feel like that, you know, they don't feel like the historical behemoths that they are, but <clears throat> I still think there's something about being in a Ferrari that is just, you know, two equal deals. And it's like, one is Ferrari, one is McLaren. I think, I think you go Ferrari all day. Um,
0: would you right now? I would. Though, I mean, obviously, would I would.
1: Yeah, I would. Well, yeah, you would. I mean, of
0: course, you would.
1: <laughs> I mean, I would. I, I, but yeah, right this second, uh, I don't know. It's a, that's that's. Uh, I think Lando, maybe he leans UK based. You know, yeah. he is an Englishman, so like maybe he leans there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if anything shakes out with, like, Alex Albon. Does mm-hmm. Alex Albon go to Ferrari? Yeah. If it, again, this is all assuming that Carlos actually was to go to um, um, Audi. And, you know, listen, there's, there's been plenty of rumors with um, Albon Ferrari. There's been rumors of signs staying there's been rumors of it being Lando at Ferrari, but then you also hear rumors of Lando at Red Bull and yeah. Alex back at Red Bull. And th- and it's like, okay, you know what, what's reality? And everyone seems to think that they've got the answer. This is the best mm-hmm. part about silly season, right? It's like yeah. everyone seems to think <laughs> they've got the foolproof reasons why uh, it'll work in for whatever reason. And we just, we don't know, we don't know what's going on until you actually know what's going on. And, Mm-hmm. until you actually are able to you know, get in the minds of these team principals and, and people even, with the money.
0: But even last year with Oscar Piastri, I think we all learned something that like just because a team principal says something also does not make it true. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even team principals now, there's a precedence that's set that you have to take that with a grain of salt because ultimately it's up to the driver. And, you know yeah. it's it's not fully a deal really in my opinion now until the driver confirms it like oh, it, of, course, of course it's on the driver now
1: <laughs> i yeah. think we now
0: have a precedent set but i don't know yeah I mean, as
1: piastri I, looks like piastri looks absolutely like a genius right now yeah um yeah. i mean a lot of people were saying oh he's already shot himself in the foot his career is over before it started i was one of those people mm-hmm. i was like oh man I don't care how much talent you have, you just screwed yourself. And (laughs) here it is. He's come out. He's Mm -hmm. come out looking really good with everything going on there, which reminds us that no matter how much we think we know based on what we hear and read and whatever contacts we might have at the end of the day, there's so much stuff that happens that nobody knows about except for the people in the arena. Yeah, and in that case, it was um, Oscar Piastri and and uh, McLaren and Alpine, Zach Brown, whatever. And we see how it turned out. Again, he looks like a genius right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, at the in time, in this moment, yeah. in this moment, looks like a genius. Looked like a complete hat in the at the time, and yeah. it's to be seen what happens. You know, like does the performance keep up? You know, if that car is not that great, does <laughs> he? Can he drag it into into the points? Like, you know, Lando, which I'll give Lando some credit, he was dragging that car even last year. You know, when Daniel couldn't do anything with it, he was dragging it into some decent, you know, some pretty solid performances. And yeah. so you start looking at all that kind of stuff, and you're like, okay, you know what? I know nothing. Everything I'm saying is just mm-hmm. Total well, speculation.
0: I mean, look at last year. I mean, now Otmar's out of a job. Now Mattia Bonato is being rumored to be the replacement uh at Alpine. And it's like oh, oh. <laughs> this is what we talk about with silly season. Like we don't know anything until like we know Nothing. something. Yeah. So yeah. let's just let's just let the chips fall where they're supposed to. Uh, you
1: know what? And I I think Binotto at Alpine would be of strong strong move. uh, If they can nail down um, some sort of strategic or uh, maybe not strategic, but, you know, somebody that can kind of make, make uh, the operations, you know, work. I don't know if I, I don't think and I don't believe in these, in what I saw. From an operational perspective, Binotto was really cut out for, for that part of the job, mm-hmm. uh, the politics part of the job, what it takes to be a modern F1 um, team principal. And I think you look at someone like a Toto Wolf and a Christian Horner, and they're head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah. Right? That's not to say that the other gentlemen are not good at what they do. But I think the modern team principal is just looks very different.
0: Mm-hmm. You've
1: got to play this, you know, you've got to play very different roles. You've got to wear very different hats that maybe team principals didn't have to um, focus on too much. Um,
0: but in a lot of ways now, the team principal also has to play the villain that is it's it's almost par for the course now especially with cameras following them everywhere it's it's they mm-hmm. want the drama and that's why i think christian horner and tota wolf apparently they're friends in the background they get along great in the background but in front of cameras in front of uh, any journalist there's tension there's drama there's stress because that is what that's what's going to get people to click on articles that's what's going to get yeah. people to buy magazines that's what's going to get people to really buy into you know, the trends of F1 and it changes so fast. So you have to capitalize on one quote uh, at any opportunity you can, because that is your, essentially that's your value as, as an F1 journalist, as a really a journalist mm-hmm. period. So, you know, it's, it kind of makes you think like how distracted are these team principals actually from objectively doing their job? Because they now know that a big part of this is acting Playing the villain, playing you know, being the shit starter, the pot stirrer, whatever you know you want to call it, but it's this is kind of also I think why a lot of people gravitated towards Red Bull because they saw them as oh you're the villain you're coming in here and Lewis Hamilton he's a good guy he's a vegan he's an activist he's all these things and you saw Red Bull as being complete opposite of of everything that 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 uh, Lewis Hamilton really stood for. And they came in here, and I think that that was why that that created such a uh, tornadic reaction within Formula One. It just kind of upended so many different things, and it created the drama that F1 needed at the time. But I think you're starting to see, as Red Bull has been kind of growing into who they are as a team with their driver lineup, they're becoming more calm. I think people are starting to see Max Verstappen even in a different way. And so people, you know, we talk about Silly Season and basically, you know, giving people that caution that they need. But I think we also have to approach teams in that way as well and say that so much of the tension is manufactured for dramatic effect.
1: And last, I guess, last comment on this before we move on. Um, We've got a lot of other stuff to cover. Does, this is totally, I guess, an opinion, do you think that the entire season feels silly? And that's why maybe like traditional silly season timing is not as like big as it maybe once was or is like, we're not hearing, things don't seem as big. The news doesn't seem as crazy anymore because it's almost like we've become so desensitized because everything feels so dramatic.
0: Well, I think that is because for the first time ever, Formula One now has that, that automatic news reaction that it might not have had before, meaning that when there's an election, for example, we have the data almost immediately. We see the tickers. We see everything happening right on your TV screen, and that mm-hmm. those reactions are immediate. They're able to uh, you know, find out... Uh, um, polling data, how, how you know, how the voters are trending, et cetera, et cetera, in real time and report that. And does that impact elections? Who knows? Possibly. But the same could be said about Formula One, because for the first time, now we're able to sort of um, sense the tone and, and everything in real time, because now you have so yeah. many F1 journalists, you have so many F1 content creators, and everyone sees things for you know in completely different ways and it creates such an interesting conversation that mm-hmm. i don't think f1 has ever been exposed to before and so maybe it's not making silly season as silly as before but perhaps that's also why silly season seems more dramatic than ever before because it's almost like this tension like i said is it seems like it's being manufactured and it's just our yeah. job to kind of sift through it and be like okay what's real what's not and you had a lot of people last year saying that the Piastri thing was, was for dramatic effect. And mm, yeah, it's that's like, right.
1: yes, there was a lot of that.
0: Yeah. But like, was this intentional? Like it, you know, it, it was this sort of like a marketing strategy, like what was going on behind the scenes and we've never had confirmation of, of any of that. But the fact that people were thinking it means that, yeah, silly season, it's, it's gotten to the point where if you have to manufacture silliness in silly season, then.
1: Yeah. You know. I, uh, I'm at the point where I just think the entire season is silly. So it's, yeah. or, yeah. and that's a season itself, but I'm saying the news cycle throughout the season is so silly. We see yeah. rumors there's, you know, you've got people with that have access to the internet that can, you know, we see rumors start that may not even be, you know, be remotely accurate, but things start and it's Mm -hmm. things that we, you know, even five years ago, 10 years ago. anytime,
0: Anytime a single person has any tentacles with an F1 and people can say, well, if somebody could say a rumor, like I could say, for example, that, oh, um, I don't know, Max Verstappen's retiring at the end of the season, people would be like, yeah, right, whatever, that's not true. But then you could look at, like, maybe you could say, oh, well, her and Will Buxton follow each other on Instagram. So d- does she know something? That is automatically, I think that's what gives people that, that I want to say fake credibility, um, is yeah, just yeah. based off how, you know, who follows whom and, and, and what your follower rate is like. And we you know again we have to make sure that we're not doing that as fans because mm-hmm. at the end of the day nobody knows anything
1: <laughs> no i i'm i'm looking yeah. on that one um let's let's move on. speaking of silly season uh total wolf came out and made a couple comments i, I know you were pretty passionate about this one but he said he basically accused the big teams of bullying Williams from getting new upgrades, mm. and um, he he raised concerns that other teams kind of jumped on um, the bandwagon the uh, the bandwagon um, against against Williams, and I don't know. I, I've got a couple. I've got a few thoughts on it um i think the biggest the the most interesting piece of what he said and he said this to motorsport.com he said we've come up with a list some of the big teams said we don't want a list and if williams gets stuff we want to have stuff Mm -hmm. and then they just shut down the idea um he said we need stability of regulations on financial relations and you need to be able to have a business plan that is valid and not a free reign every two years where we change the goalposts on capex Mm -hmm. um so I don't know. It seems like in one hand he's, hey, let's help, let's help Williams, you know, or we should, you know, Williams should get, you know, be helped somehow. And then the other hand, it's like, well, we shouldn't move the goalpost. So uh, I will, I will say my my piece on this, and then I'll kind of bow out because I I really want to hear what you have to say, but it's interesting he speaks up about this now and i like total wolf and he's a businessman he's very savvy and shrewd and again he knows way more than we do on the subject so he's clearly knows something right um which is why he's making the comments he's making and and he's i don't know maybe he's got a little sentimental spot for williams you know he doesn't have any ownership stake in them anymore but uh You know, there's got to be a little something. Plus, Williams is historic. So it's not a team you want to see just, you know, fail. I I do think that it's interesting because Toto's also one of the more outspoken ones against adding an 11th and 12th team. Yeah. And some may say, well, how does that, how do those two things go hand in hand? And while I, I feel like, We've got teams that could barely make it. And then you've got these other entries that seem to have the money and the ability to get in and, and make it or tr- you know, try to make it. Yet we don't want to allow them in. Um, we're allowing teams. And I'm not going to use Williams necessarily as an example, although this is the one that's in front of me. But you look at teams like even like an Alpha Towery right or um or or a Haas it's like well these teams haven't done dick so and there's no there's no sign of them doing anything anytime soon why would we not want you know other teams to come in um so I I, I'll just leave it there I'll, I'll let you kind of dump in on it
0: yeah this is an interesting topic because a couple things Toto Wolf also said that um, teams were looking at this as an, as an opportunity. He said, as consequences, some teams jumped on the bandwagon to say, "But actually, we would like to have a little more capex." Which, if you know, you don't know capital expenditure. Um, and then he said, and that number went up from fifty million. To 60 million 70 million 90 million and suddenly it was like free reign and mm-hmm. why we don't change the capex levels but there is no reason to do that i think there is one team we need to treat differently than all the others so it, i think that toto wolf does have some vested interest in this obviously james vowels um huge part of mercedes success and maybe that's his soft spot also Mercedes is Williams' engine supplier. Yep. So, they're in partnership through mm-hmm. 2025. So, yep. I think the better Williams does, I mean they they want funding for a wind tunnel. They want things to, you know, essentially you know, improve the performance of the car. It behooves Toto Wolff to be an advocate because that's their engine on the line. And if mm-hmm. they have a car with a subperforming car, that doesn't speak very highly of the engine that Mercedes is providing them. So when you lose, and we saw this happening with Renault and Red Bull, the controversy there was that by Red Bull terminating that, that, um, that agreement, that partnership, that Renault was going to lose millions of dollars. So Mercedes could lose millions of dollars if people yep. stop seeing the value in their engine. And you can't really have you know, a good... Um, Baseline of how that engine performs when you have a car that isn't conducive to that engine, uh, that engine's power, which is what we're looking at with the Williams. And I think we've seen them, you know, on the the undercarriage views of the cars. You know, the difference between Red Bull and and say Williams is night and day in terms of arrow and development there, and and it's very obvious. And so there is a vested interest, I think, in Mercedes there to make sure that Williams has the support that they need. But I also think that when it comes to Formula One, like you said, there are teams that haven't done anything to really cement their spot. I mean, we look at the first season of Drive to Survive, the same drama The same issues that were, that, that Haas was in Meshton are the same issues that they're in Meshton now. And that is funding. They can't get the car that they need or that they want because they can't hit the cap. They can't, I mean, there's always a financial reason at the time it was, Oh, we, we, it's hard for us to compete with teams that are spending half a billion dollars. And now it's, well, we we can barely hit the cap, even though there is a cap, we still can't compete. So it's like, why are you objecting to a team getting a little bit more support financially when you were that team several years ago trying to get more support financially and wouldn't that behoove you also to want to move that goalpost knowing that that would benefit you Um, because nobody likes the cap it's like everyone hated the cap when you had teams spending half a billion dollars and now nobody likes the cap because you know of their own reasons and so it's like we talk about the cap being such a a, a, a problem a challenge and i mean here's another one
1: well what's the solution though on the cap yeah. right like we've talked we've talked about this too is like you can lower or raise the cap as much as you want but if you have teams that still just can't reach the the expenditure like what does it matter
0: yeah Yeah. But then these are the same teams that are essentially saying, well, we don't want any new entries. Well, okay. You stand to get a very large chunk of that, that, that pie by allowing that team to enter formula one. And it's not like you're going to win any more money because it doesn't seem like you can score any more points. So really does your opinion actually matter in this? And I hate to say that, but it's kind of like, we need to be we need to keep this real. This conversation has to be objective. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now, where if you stand to make a lot of money off of another team's entry, but yet you're not really contributing very much to the sport yourself, then why are you gatekeeping?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, the reality is how many teams do contribute enough um, to the sport to make the impact that you're talking about, yeah, right? There's, let's say, half. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. five. If, if, I guess, if that, right? But let's just say there's five. That's half. That means there's half the teams that are essentially just a drain
0: mm-hmm. on free- the sport
1: as a whole. Freeloading. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to necessarily say freeloading, but I guess, yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not the worst way to put it. Yeah. And... Again, where is the where is the common where's the equalizer in all of yeah. this? How do you equalize all of this? I don't know what that answer is. I don't know how to make it happen. I do think it's just ironic that Toto speaking up now for this. So what I say, what exactly is in it for Toto, although one could say, hey, if he's defending Williams, it's his way of saying we would rather invest in a team that's already here than allow mm. a new team to come up yeah. and start from scratch and then have get another team that's a burden. So I do understand also from that perspective yeah. is that we don't want to add more drains on our, uh, you know, our ecosystem here, our yeah. F1 ecosystem. Um,
0: well, yeah, but e- all- every team should want a stronger body of f1 teams
1: so 100 percent. it's just a matter yeah. of our, how do you how do you do that because if yeah. if the reason toto's saying what he's saying is because he doesn't believe that a new team joining is really going to be up and running and competitive and profitable within i don't know i don't know what that time period would be but let's just say it's five years you know that's a that's a major like we're not we're we're talking that's that's a long time now, yeah. um, especially in the world that we're li- you know that we live in where everything is you know instant. Like you were saying, we have instant access to information. We have in- instant access to uh, y- you know how companies are doing on-, on their balance sheets and things like that. We we have instant av- you know there's instant availability of information um, at our disposal. How do you counteract that if you're f1 you can't you have to have competitive teams profitable teams you have to be ready at a moment's notice to say yeah look look at look how healthy our sport is um and yes well and we're going to talk about that's our next topic so i want to get into that but you know as a final thought on this one it's i do think there is a weird balance right now that needs to be struck i don't know what the balance is but i do think That as we get closer to adding more teams, you're, you know, you're going to want to see healthier, more profitable, more competitive current teams. And if that doesn't continue happening, you know, um, I guess it's two sides of the same coin, so to speak. If you don't see, you know, competitive field sooner you wonder if that interest, like how much, how long does that interest last for yeah. both sponsors, viewers, uh, teams that want to join your sport? Uh, how long does that, does that, how long do you have that for? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't know if, don't know if that's, um,
0: but this is, this is where F1 kind of lacks because nobody wants to have those uncomfortable conversations. Nobody wants to say to Haas, listen, you're the exact same team that you were five years ago. You're having the exact same problems that you were having five years ago. Like, what are you doing here, essentially? And and you know, listen, we we all love Gunther Steiner. He's he's a legend, but at the end of the day, I mean, if it wasn't for his his celebrity, like who he is, his personality, would he still be there? One, um, and two, it's
1: a different game now.
0: Yeah it's all about marketability and, and his marketability is a huge fat. It's a huge, um, um uh, thing for, for Haas, for their mm-hmm. value. And so you get rid of Gunther and I, I don't think anybody would be interested in Haas at all. Like what, is, what are they doing?
1: So no, and you have, you have teams that score more points than them
0: mm-hmm.
1: that, ha- that there's zero interest in. Yeah. Um, and, and you're like, well, what's what's the difference? Well, the one that you have one difference. You have Gunther Steiner. He's he's playing the game, and he's we'll say he's winning because I don't know how much it's really adding to the bottom line of Haas, but they're still in the sport. They're still competing. Um, they're you know they're getting sponsors. They're fighting to to remain relevant. But it is it's a personality game. You know yeah. the same thing that is keeping Daniel Ricciardo in the in the game is what is keeping. Gunther Steiner and Haas somewhat relevant.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it's a weird. Game so speaking in. of speaking of number of, of popularity and hype and whatnot, first half of the year wrapped up, and the numbers from ESPN, ABC, Disney came out. Um, they kind of well, we've had the numbers, but I guess the, the full look came out, and so what was interesting is that the numbers went up slightly, very, very slightly. The average uh, of the 2023 average U S viewership. This is only U S viewership we're talking about went up slightly uh, over last season, which last season was a record breaking season. You know, we're going to hear record breaking constantly with these things. Um, it was something like an average of about 30,000 uh, was, was the actual number. Yeah. But the 23 season had three of the four largest live audiences ever on US TV. Uh, you had Miami, Monaco, and Canada all taking over the second, third, and fourth all-time spots with the Miami GP of 22 was the largest at 2.6 million. So Miami saw a Hefty drop off in viewership over last year, which was the inaugural year. You know, obviously, the initial hype um, things wear off naturally. Um, every race except for two had more than a million viewers, or averaged more than a million viewers. Australia was one of those because it was in you know the middle of the night for the US. That was about half a million viewers, and then Azerbaijan had. It crept up to almost a million, but not quite. Um, The most interesting demographic was the 18 to 49 demographic, uh, which is the coveted group. Anybody that knows anything about TV audiences, 18 to 49 is your coveted group. And um, I know that the Belgian Grand Prix last week, or was it last week? Yet yeah, last week at this point, um, featured almost half a million in that in that demographic. It was the most viewed program on that uh, in that demographic on Sunday. Hmm. Impressive, I think. I would like to say that that's pretty impressive. Now, you know, we're not going to compare it to say NASCAR or IndyCar because those numbers are still uh, greater. But we know that F1 trounces NASCAR when it comes to the 18-49, to and this shows all the signs of that continuing trend. Yeah. With the numbers not growing as much, I, I posed a question on Twitter, and I kind of just said, like, hey... Numbers didn't grow as much as this the Verstappen effect. Are we seeing a Verstappen effect here? Uh so I asked that question to you. Do you think that the growth of the TV audience has slowed down? And you know, here's the thing, you and I have talked about this so much uh on this show about what next steps are for F1. And you know, you you hit that, you know, you hit that. I don't want to say plateau, but I guess a plateau. And what's the next move? And, you know, you and I have kind of said, well, the next move is going, is definitely going to be live audiences, you know, in-person audiences at these races, which we're seeing record numbers of because there's a huge focus on, you know, boosting that experience. But in your opinion, do you see the Max Verstappen and Red Bull domination as What is slowing down viewership in the United States specifically? I have not looked at numbers globally.
0: Um, Possibly. Possibly. And I say that because last year, um, or not last year, but in the spring when Netflix numbers came out, they were up um, over 2022. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a, it was a substantial, something 40, 50% um, boost. And I think that in itself tells us that there's still a lot of interest. in because the fact that we know what happened the previous season, and then you're watching the previous season on a show a couple weeks before the next season's supposed to start. So people are still so interested in what, goes on behind the scenes of the sport that they're still willing to kind of relive the previous season, even though they know the the outcomes, they know exactly what's going to happen. And I think that is pretty telling on the growth of the sport. Now. I I think that obviously Max, let's just call it what it is. He won his third championship. Let's say by Monaco and um,
1: (laughs) pretty much.
0: Yeah. By a mile. And um, you're, 33.7 seconds. Wasn't it like his fastest gap anyway? um,
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Something like that. But I think that we're possibly going to see maybe a little bit of a drop off maybe because people are, you know, it's his third championship, but at the same time, there's also still so much intrigue with Daniel Ricardo and Ricardo Mm. by being the reserve driver for Red Bull I think there's going to be a lot of interest there. People are still going to want to watch it because they're going to say, what was Daniel Ricardo's um, life like before entering Alpha What, what, what was the actual decision that went into that? And I think that's what people are going to be interested in the most. Um, there's already been team principal reshufflings. There's already been rumors of driver reshufflings. And I think people are going to be interested, especially if this is Checo Perez last season with Red Bull, as it's being rumored, what was the what was the ultimate like decision or thing that happened that led to that? And I think there's there's always a lot of questions going into Drive to Survive, and so that's why I kind of I kind of like to see what those numbers look like before I really say that TV numbers are having a significant impact, because we also know that um, there's been a growth in F1 TV subscriptions. A lot of people are getting TV subscriptions now because. They they like the onboards. They like the different features uh, of watching it on, on F1 TV. Um, and then you also potentially have a lot of people watching Formula One under one roof. Like you have friends coming over and say, hey, you know, we're going to watch one stream, but maybe there's 10 people in your house. Maybe they know Max Verstappen is going to win, but maybe they're curious about upgrades to McLaren. They're curious about what's happening with Fernando Alonso, uh, why suddenly um, it did... Uh, did Aston Martin start to drop off? There's still a lot of questions about, and I think that's the interesting thing about the fact that we're getting such a a, um, a unique viewpoint into the aerodynamics, into the science of formula one that we never really saw before. There was never really a curiosity. Now there's this boom in STEM, this boom in engineering. And now people are wanting to learn everything they can about the cars. It's not just who's winning the races. So I think from a technological aspect too, F1 is writing that beautifully because so much of the content is being, you know, worked around that. So there's lots of different components that go into F1. Maybe people are going to get bored with Max Verstappen, but I think that we can segue into maybe, you know, Max's GPT or GT team, but he has hinted at retirement um, sooner rather than later because he wants to pursue other things and you know he's already said I'm a family man. I am not trying to do this and and delay, you know, growing up essentially. And so maybe you know he's already hinted that it, his contract expires with Red Bull in 2028 and that he's or 2000 yeah 2028, right? Yeah. And that he's going to see what the regulations look like in 2026 is Red Bull going to get it right because that's typically how the game works if you get the the car right on the first go around on the new regulations you're typically going to have a pretty dominant next couple of years. So, I think it depends on if Red Bull gets the car right how much longer Max is going to stay in the sport. So, we might see, you know, a five five-time champion um maybe the car drops off and maybe he decides in 2028 it's just not worth it I want to pursue something else. So, I think I think that's maybe what fans are kind of looking into right now, which is why we're hyping up the regulations as much as we are.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I haven't heard a lot of positive things about the regulations overall yeah. right now. Um, it, it does definitely seem like there is, <sighs> there's a lot of variables, right? There, yeah. as, as there, as, as always, but there's a lot of variables right now. And Quite frankly, I think that you look at someone like Max and you say, hey, you know what? Uh, If you're bored out of your mind and you want to go and do other things, pursue other things, go for it. I mean, I can't blame him. He made a comment, I think, was this before he won his first championship or it was right after he won his first championship and he said something like, I don't need more than one. Like, I just need one. Yeah. you know you're a world champion like what does it matter uh i don't know if you i'm not sure how he meant that you know maybe he was saying that just to be like hey let me just Cheapy. focus on this one right yeah yeah um or like you're a world champion it doesn't matter if it's three times, five times seven times you know it doesn't matter it's like you're a world champion you're a world champion um i know a lot of people misinterpreted not misinterpreted but interpreted it as like oh see he doesn't really care he doesn't have the you know, and and I, I'm with you on it. They're, these guys, they're so much guys and gals, you know, across sports, but they have so much more interests. There are so yeah. many more interests than just what they do. They are more than what you know what they do. And again, you know, when we talked about Charles a little bit earlier, there's a very short window for them to leverage who they are. Yes, they'll always have the money, right? Well, potentially if they they manage it properly, but. Let's say they do. They'll always have the money, sure. But you don't have that platform forever. Yeah. Even once you fall off, right? Like look at all of the world champions that are out there now, you know, um, that are are we we'll take a Nico Rosberg, for example, or, or even a Jensen Button. Yes, they still are making waves. Yes, they still have attention of people, but it's very different than when you're actually performing at the highest level week in and week out and when you are in that spotlight yeah. and when everyone's talking about you not when you're a youtuber that's adjacent to f1 or that's a shot at prosper not youtubers <laughs> um you know or jensen button like he's actually still racing and he's doing cool shit like that's awesome yeah but it's never the way it was than when you were racing in f1 Or when you're at you know the peak of your sport um so yeah yeah, good for him you know leverage that leverage what you have now you've got to set yourself up and this was something that you know my 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 dad always used to say to me it was like when you're the busy when you are your busiest that's when you should be doing more you know your marketing that's when you should be marketing yourself more that's when you should be building yourself up more because When you're doing it out of desperation because, oh, man, you know, I've got nothing going on now, you tend to just like, I'm going to take whatever – I'm going to just take whatever I can. I'm just going to – I'll do anything instead of working out of a place of I can be pickier. I can make decisions that are, like Max said, more in line with um, the life I want to have. You know, that – he can make those decisions now. If he's like desperate and in need of money – a la Phil Mickelson's gambling debts, right? <laughs> you do something like I'm going to go take five hundred million dollars from Live because I need the money, right? Yeah. And I know that that example may not translate to everybody, but take it for what it's worth. Yeah. Um. So yeah, good good move for him. The popularity is where it is now, and it's. I'm not saying I'm not going to be the one to be like, oh, it's already dropping off. I think there's a leveling off. There's always going to be a leveling off and that's fine. Um, but if you are a driver and you have other aspirations outside of racing right now is the time to say, okay, I'm really going to start or continue doing stuff with the platform I have to set myself up beyond Yeah. now.
0: Yeah. Well, F1 is not without risk. So take advantage of your opportunities now and focus on your future. And I think most of the drivers now in this era, they're, they're doing that. So all we can do is hope for the best for them. Any, any closing thoughts to that?
1: No, no, that's it. That's, um, that's it. I got, I I think I said my piece this week. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that's the thing about silly season even though it's silly season and we're, we're on a break there's still so much to say but that's that's to my point about the popularity of f1 i don't think people are going to get bored with it enough to like actually see a decline in america
1: It's kind of not right at. now no no yeah i agree yeah I that agree
0: is the show today um vincenzo where can people find you on twitter
1: you can find me at vincenzo landino on x Twitter, whatever. We're calling it these days.
0: <laughs> the Feel free to reach
1: out. Yeah, let's, let's, let's engage, have a conversation. We want to hear from you. Um, you know, I, I love when people ask questions about this kind of stuff because it yeah. really is fascinating and it's very interesting. And I also love opposing views, right? I like when others say, hey, you know what? It's not that popular or hey, it's dropping off or <laughs> whatever's going on. So yeah, uh, yeah a, lot, a lot of cool stuff happening. Yeah. Uh, find find us on, on twitter page.
0: find us on x i'm at the VF castro and if you guys have any questions let us know we'll be happy to answer them but uh that's all we've got today and uh we'll catch you guys next week
1: bye bye
0: Thank you so much for tuning into the VF1 show. If you liked it, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And for previews of next week's show, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the VF Castro and Vincenzo Landino.